You say you're not a feminist. I'll, I'll be honest about this. The whole thing, I feel like it's a generational curse. I didn't change my surname and I knew I was going to change my surname. I like my name for what it is and, and I tried to even add it. I kind of wrote it down and it was just, it's just not me. It's not my identity. What did your husband say? And I was like, if you've got a problem with it, that's fine, we won't get married. He said, you'll stop worrying about people when you realize how seldom they think about you. Hi Shiksha. Hi Gemma. Welcome <laughs> to Figuring Out. And thank you. Thank you for taking the time for being here today. So before we get started, for people literally about to decide whether they want to listen to this podcast or not, tell us why this should be, what you've got to say. Um, I don't really have emphasis on what I need to say. I'm just going to keep it flowing. But hello, I'm Shiksha. I'm a Mauritian and former Miss Mauritius. I'm an actor. I'm a trained um, accident emergency nurse. If you want perspective, a little bit of everything, like I'm sort of like the person that has like 10 jars open and I'm multitasking and you're trying to find someone relatable, mm -hmm. then I think I'm your person that you can relate to being scientific into a medical field and being creative as well. And kind of in the entertainment and the struggling bit as well. I'm here to keep it raw and just honest and be as honest and transparent as I can be about my experience so far. I think what's been great so far with this podcast journey, I tried to bring on guests mm -hmm. who have really inspirational and inspirational different definition of it, right? Yeah. Depending on the career, depending on the film, um, whether that's professional, study, personal stories. So let's get into it. So one of the things that you told me about when we were chatting was that you wanted to talk about your journey in terms of modeling and also Bollywood so mm -hmm. far so let's start with your experience with Bollywood because I think that will be interesting yeah uh, you're the first guest who I know has been in Bollywood yeah. has been featuring in in soap operas yeah. and you've done a bit of modeling as well so give us a quick summary of the things that you've done okay are there any exciting people that we know of who you've worked with Yes, yeah, so I have worked on a TV series, um, Udaria. I was like a guest appearance. Um, unfortunately, I was just in one episode of that. I was supposed to um, kind of be in more than one episode. I was playing Karan Grover's girlfriend in one of the episodes in the club scene. Mm -hmm. A lot of Mauritians and Mauritians was like, I just saw you on TV. <laughs> and I was just like, we just shot that two days ago in Scotland. How have they already aired it? The experience, yeah, that's quite quick. yeah, really, really quick. The experience was very traumatic, I would say, because obviously I was um, scouted for a music video that I did in a Dr. Zeus music video. And then I kind of um, got offered the job later on two months down the line by a line producer. And um, everything was okay when he offered it to me because I went and they gave me a little script. I did the audition and everything. And then they were like, it's in Scotland. And I was like, okay, cool. And I said, when do you need me to come down? And then mm -hmm. they said, um, oh, it's that same, it was the same week and it was abrupt. It was like, can you come tomorrow? And I'm like, what? So no contract, no anything. And I was like, can you at least tell me what I'm going to be and everything like that? And all they said was like, obviously they've had a look at the self-tape. They, they, they like your look and everything. So we need you to come to Scotland. Are you okay with that? So obviously then I was talking to my partner and I was like, what do I do? Like, I want to go, but how do I know if it's safe and everything? And I said, is there a contract or anything like that, that I know that it's legit? So I had to just go off by the line producer and just... So no contracts? No, no contracts, no nothing. And I was like, just do your homework, kids, please. Like, you know, obviously when you're thrown into something like that, but I was aware of that line producer. I've met him on set. I know of him, but I don't, I know him to a professional standard, not a personal one. Mm -hmm. So it was kind of like we were chatting backwards and forwards. So I kind of trusted him blindly. 
So I went to Scotland, he picked me up from the airport, um, we checked into the hotel, and then obviously I was introduced to the set of like everyone, and I met Garun that day, and um, and then everyone was like, oh, um, the first thing that they said to me was like, who is she? What is she doing? And I was like, that already caused red flag, because I was like, you told me I'm playing the lead girlfriend, why is no one aware? And then obviously the line producer was like, oh no, no, like, you haven't met the other produ- producer yet, you know, they, they're okay. going to get to know who you are. And then I was like, okay, cool. And then um, I was just like, okay, to the line producer, like, when do I start working? Is there any script? Because I was eager. I was like, I want to learn. I want to grasp Was that things. your first time on a Bollywood set? Yeah, like it was okay. a TV series um, set. And um, it was just, it was a nightmare, I have to say. And I had to wait nine days in total to shoot that cue. And I was going round and round like a headless chicken asking everyone on set, when is my cue? When is my cue? Every morning, like, they're not giving me an answer. They'll be like, we're waiting for another producer coming from India. He's got your dialogue. He's going to do this. He's going to do that. To the point where the Indian set on that TV series was just messing me around. And then I was on the phone to my mom, to my partner. Like, I was like, I don't know what to do. Should I come back? They were like, just come back. And, you know, if they're messing me around this much, because I was asking the line producer and then I was just left there. And, and do you think that's an experience that, everyone has as in being part of such a big set you're working with probably hundreds of people mm. from the cameraman to from the cameraman to the producer yeah. to to the story writer yeah. right so do, did you feel that because you were a newbie or was it because that's how Hollywood goes I don't know but I all I know is that I was sticking up for myself and I had mm-hmm. to stick up for myself because at that point if I did not speak up nothing would have gone that way. And people were scared that they just saw me as like, I, they, they thought that I would just be docile about the situation. And when they thought that I was like, they saw me and they were speaking, like obviously this girl was speaking up. They were kind of like, I wouldn't, I wouldn't say scared, but they kind of backed down a little bit. And then because there was no contract or anything, and to, to say all of this, I'm, I'm with three agents in London. Mm-hmm. So for all that to happen, I wasn't being represented or anything. I was just going because I actually got the job. And most of the job, when you're scouted for something, you normally know the director, you know the line producer, or you're basically on a set and they have to physically see you. Sometimes to get a job, you actually have to be there. No, showing your profile or what you've done or your right. showreel isn't enough. Sometimes you have to be in that situation. You have to live in that current situation to get scouted for another job and it's like a word of mouth sort of thing but what happened to me that in that on that day and for the nine days was a lot of injustice because nobody actually took accountability for me so I thought okay fine I'm gonna take accountability for my set to the point where that day I was shooting the scene I went up to the director and I went like crazy and I was just like okay so when is my scene coming up and I just spoke up in front of everyone Mm mm-hmm I was like, you can't mess me around like this. Like, I've been waiting seven days. Do something about it. And it's like, well, the story of like writer isn't here and stuff like that. And I was like, this should not be my job. And then obviously that scene that I was in, I pushed my way through it. Mm-hmm. Like, I had to do that myself. And if I had not stuck up and be like, hi, I'm here. Like, this is not fair. You don't just do that to someone. You wouldn't hire a cameraman and an assistant director and not give them a job description of what they need to do. And then they're following everyone around to the right. point where... I didn't feel like I was looked after at all, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. I think I think here, what I'm hearing, obviously, is the unfair experience. Yeah. And I'm probably going to push it here, yeah. but... Do you feel like in such setting, mm-hmm. the show, you know, we're used to watching Indian cinema, we're used to watching soap opera, yeah. like, 
it's part of our culture, yeah. like it's something we've grown up. So we yeah. know that the show tends to be about the lead characters, mm-hmm. right? And in all fairness, you bag this great role. Yeah. And you can have it on your CV. That's mm. a great achievement yeah. for Russian women yeah. living in the UK. That's a great achievement. But then taking a step back, the show tends to be about the lead characters mm-hmm. and doesn't justify at all the unfair treatment, yeah. right? But do you feel that that's a mentality about the lead characters? So whoever else is involved mm-hmm. matters less. Do I- you- Mm-hmm. I think it's evolving. I feel like it's your duty as a actor, as a person in any any industry, anything to stand up for yourself and take account- accountability for your action. Mm-hmm. I feel like now the society and people are starting to repulse back, if that's the correct terminology, okay. because it's just like, well, it's unfair. Why should we follow the crowd? Why should only the leaders or the co-stars be respected? And I do believe in an egalitarian society. Mm-hmm. I don't care if it's the surgeon or the doctor or the nurse, even in the medical career. I don't care what power you have. If you're not treating somebody equal and you're looking down upon them, then they you don't deserve to respect that person back. And I think... Respect doesn't come in terms of um, leadership or, or, you know, fame. Mm-hmm. I feel like it is the way you treat people. And going back to that scenario, I wasn't treated in a dignified or respected manner at all. But saying that, I have been involved in other projects that I have worked on and the experiences have been fantastic. Right. Yeah. So like, that's like a chapter that I had to kind of shut and kind of, yes, I'm going to put that in my CV and stuff like that. But what came out of it, was not worth it for that looking back at it now it got me to where I am but unfortunately I've had to sever ties or rather they've had to sever ties with me because eventually I had to go come back to London I got quite sick and then um, they said we'll call you back and you know because I was shooting in London and they never did to the point where I was messaging the um, script writer and he said yeah yeah we'll have you on the scene and then obviously because they were running out of time and that my scene was cut completely right so when my scene was cut I was only used in that club scene but it was a, such a shame because I was actually really looking forward to playing the villain's girlfriend right and I think I would have done justice to it because they wanted somebody with my sort of or look, some character character and I was um you know supposed to play an NRI and um, I was really looking forward to it. I was like, yeah, I'm ready to go. I'm very ambitious. I'm determined. Give it to me and I will make the most out of it. And then it turned into something so short. And I feel like they're also threatened when they see because somebody. You spoke up? Yes. Yes. And when you speak up and you um, don't conform to what people are giving you, people then kind of cancel you. And I think, unfortunately, with the Indian culture, it's like that. They want the women to be docile. Like, so when they saw me, they thought I still live at, you know, they they thought I still live with my parents. I was at uni. So when I said, like, obviously, no, I've just done a night shift and I'm a nurse as well and stuff, they were, like, taken back. Mm-hmm. They were just not expecting that at all. They don't like it when you're kind of multitasking. Not everyone, but within that right. set, just that set. You can tell sometimes... It's not the way people talk to you. It's the impression you get from their facial expressions, for example. And I've really felt that. And um, that chapter's closed, but I have worked on another few things that I'm excited to come out as well. Okay, I was going to ask, it feels like we started this interview with a bang. Yeah. But how does that leave, given your experience, where's your head at? Is that something you still want to go back if you were to be offered another role yeah. whether that's a smaller part or a bigger part yeah in such a setting yeah um I would now approach it in a very different manner and I would kind of know what I'm getting myself 
into a lot more rather than just because every every audition that you get um whether it be bollywood or anything it's very quick everything is so quick normally they're looking for someone to fill the roles even if it's a secondary role or a lead role or blah 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 they're looking to fill it in within the next day that same week or anything like that it's not it's although it's pre-planned they need you on a certain day and that every decision has to be quick if I was in that, if I obviously for future projects coming up, I would definitely be like, yes, I'm doing it. But then I would also look at the advantages and disadvantages. So like the pros and the cons, what am I getting myself into and stuff like that? I tried to do that with this um, scenario that happened previously, but not, ex- not every experience is going to be the same. So I'm right. trying to just scrap that negative side of what happened and try and give the brighter um future um projects more of a um dimensional thought and be like okay no it might not be that bad let's be a bit optimistic and positive about it it was a learning lesson and it got me to where i am and maybe i had to go through that so i have to kind of think of it from a different angle to kind Mm -hmm. of push through it otherwise if i contemplate on it and i'm just like yes it's awful people around the industry heard about it to to the point where actually had directors come up to me and from different projects of music video like we really heard about what happened and I feel so bad for you and um when other people hear about that you're just like oh my god like I wasn't overreacting right like that was a bad situation so I did handle myself with grace but I am willing to give other projects because it's not the future project's fault you know they might be an amazing set and amazing people to work with you can't take one bad experience and kind of imprint it on another future project Mm -hmm. do you know what I mean I think this is going to be an uncomfortable question Mm -hmm. but even in most recent years when it comes to you know movement like me too Mm -hmm. people speaking up whether that's the internet or whether that's in real life, whoever's speaking up tends to somewhat be labeled as a victim, mm-hmm. right? So you're speaking about your experience, which I completely rate. Mm-hmm. What do you say to people who could be say, well, are you not just a victim? Are you not just playing the victim? Because going into such an industry, you're somehow familiar with the fact that this is an industry of thousands of people. It's about the lead characters. There's abuse, emotional, mm. sexual. We've heard of so many things mm-hmm. from Hollywood to Bollywood, right? What do you say to these people? I'd say speak up, be vocal. And don't like draw boundaries within like other people. That's one thing that I've had to learn since last year. Like not even professionally, but personally. Have you ever been in a situation where you're saying like, I don't want to do this, but you're forcing yourself to say yes. Like, but Why? Like, think of the pros and cons. If I do this, what's going to happen? And if I say no, what's going to happen? But I will always say, speak up. And if that gut feeling, your intuition says, speak up, you listen to it. Because there's so many times I've kind of been like, let go of the gut intuition. I've always been right. And I'm sure a lot of people can relate to this where they're just like, oh, I should have done that. Mm -hmm. Like, my gut instinct said that. Why didn't I do that? So I would say, be vocal, speak up but then do it in a manner that would um, kind of benefit you. What have I learned from this? How can I how can I take this forward to better find myself? Take it in a positive approach because the more you're pessimistic about something, the more it's going to drag your energy down. Your, you still want to radiate with light. So that's one thing I will say. Be vocal, but make it in a very optimistic manner. Mm-hmm. So um, because I don't want it to just be like, well, hey, look at me, I just want attention, like me too. This is what people are perceiving it to be like. But some people genuinely just want to speak up and they just cannot express themselves. So just give everyone 
a fair chance. And I think we are getting there because it's us as a community to come together, Mm -hmm. not shatter each other down and be like, oh yeah, you know, why didn't they speak up 10 years ago? Maybe people were genuinely scared, you know? That comes up so many times. Why didn't you speak up at that time? Not everyone has the same confidence. And also, it's hard for me to say that because I'm not in the victim's shoes. But I think my perception or my interpretation is that whenever you may have been a victim... It's really hard to digest the fact and accept that you've been a victim. It's really hard to digest and accept that you've been abused, whether Mm -hmm. that's emotional, whether that's sexual. And it takes time to go through that healing process to be able to speak up about it. Mm -hmm. So I do find it sometimes shocking when people question, why didn't you speak up at that time? You were not in my position. Yeah. Anyway, wrapping up this subject and moving on to your journey and your childhood so you were born in Mauritius I was born in Mauritius and then you moved here at the age of seven eight seven eight yeah eight, right and we were just talking about this earlier because I do remember your crowning yeah. when you went to when you participated yeah. um for the Miss Mauritius contest that was back in 2012 2011 it's 2013 2013 2014 yeah right so growing up here would you say that the UK is somehow home to you now I think you spend most of the most mm-hmm. of your life here why did you go back to Mauritius to participate from Miss Mauritius? Do you know what? I'll be honest with you. Ever since I've just, I was born as a kid, I remember growing up in Lesbian-Australia where my grandparents okay. lived. Mm-hmm. And I just looked at the TV and they were like, obviously as a five-year-old, I just kind of manifested my way. I've manifested my way through my life because they were like, what do you want to do when you grow up? And it's just like, I want to be a miss and I want to be an actor didn't know anything else when you're five you've got big dreams and you're just like yeah I want to be a miss I want to be like that miss on the tv and it was like a miss universe or something Uh I don't know what it was they look so pretty and glamorous I was like I want to be a miss I want to be an actor and that's it you don't know life so kind of just grew up and then obviously as you grow up you learn reality and I was just kind of in my own little headspace and own little bubble but obviously when I moved to UK at the age of seven and eight my world kind of changed very quickly and Mm. for the better I was very homesick when I came here to the UK but Mauritius would always be home I'm very um I'm very patriotic I'm patriotic about my island but I'm actually more of a um I fight more for the matriarchy I would say okay um not a feminist or anything I just feel like the society needs to be more egalitarian Mm -hmm. especially coming from a multicultural country like Mauritius we need to embrace that a lot more because well, the flag represents each religion and each nation, and that's something to be proud of. And yet we are so forward, but yet so backwards. So I just, we just need that. Like, we're already there. We just need to be a little bit more higher. And I feel like I can, I can push us up there even more. You know. <laughs> so that's why right. I really went and competed in the pageant because growing up, people were like, "You can't do science and you can't do art. You can't do science art and be in the entertainment field." Like at college, there was so much racism. I'm, I'm happy to share this, but I went to Havering Sixth Form and um, I wanted to do science and performing arts. So I and ended and up, for, for people to be clear, we talk about your sixth form here yeah, in the UK. Yeah, sixth form here in the UK, thank mm-hmm. you. And um, because I wanted to do performing arts, I didn't get into the course and it shattered my heart. But then I had the GCSEs, I had the grades and everything. And um, the, the guy that was um, interviewing me and my mum at that time, I was like 15, 16, he was like, what do you want to do? I was like, I want to do performing arts. And like, 
science and that's it and it was like well we've only got space for sociology and performing arts is full and I auditioned to go into it but it was very um whitewashed and um he was like well there's no space and I was like but that's what I want to do you need to just give me a chance and he was like well you've auditioned you didn't get in and I was like that's because at GCSE grade they didn't even offer me the drama class I really want to do performing arts like I think I have a shot at being an actor so then he kind of forced me into the course I'll tell you what the the the, the lecturers, the teachers, no, like the performing, performing arts, arts, they didn't but like I that. I thought that was that's what you wanted to do. And I got into the sociology course okay, as well, so ahead. that was like three A level, three three A level, three A mm-hmm. levels. Yeah, um, it was a lot because seventy percent of the time I was doing the performing arts um, course the, at the AS level. But um, I tell you what, even though the guy was the head of the college and he pushed me into the thing. Um, the the teachers then were not happy and they I could see it in their face they were determined to kick me off the course like kind of being like let's just push her give her the year and then we'll just kick her off like they right. were not they were like why do you want they, they even said it to me they shattered everything within me they were like and it ruined my confidence for life and it was like why do you you can't do science and performing arts like we told you already that you know we don't want you but yet but they couldn't do anything because I had the support of the most senior person in like the college. So that's what happened. And at the end of AS level, they just kicked me. And I, and I said to them, frankly, and I was like, I, I'm not saying it's discrimination, but it was. And at that point, it just, I didn't know what to do because I knew it was coming, but I still really tried hard to blend into something that I was not accepted in. Mm-hmm. And then eventually I got into my nursing at 17. So I went to uni and I was just, destiny is such a funny thing. And my dad kept forcing me. He was like, you're good at science. You've done triple science at school. But I was like, but dad, I've also done like triple art and design at school. And my work was plastered everywhere. I used to make shoe designs and I was really good at designing. And then my dad was just like, why don't you just try this nursing? And I was like, look, just because I know a little bit of photosynthesis and I like chemistry and biology doesn't mean I'm going to be good at this. And my dad's an orthopedic nurse and an oncology nurse, which is like chemo, cancer. Mm. So then he was like, just give it a go. Um, And then my dad kind of hit, like he just put the nail on the head. He was like, listen, if you do your nursing you'll be flexible to do whatever you want. You can do your nights, you can switch to locum. I listened to him and then I got into, I just about scraped it through the course because I was 17 and it's very young. Obviously you're going to the uni with 40 year olds, 30 year olds, 50 year olds and I'm 17. And I think in the bachelor of my nursing at London South Bank University, there was only me and three other people that were 17 starting the course. I'll tell you what Gemma, I was so, I was so immature. Mm-hmm. like I grew up so fast like I just gained maturity like that, that within quick, a year yeah. that's one thing I'll always be like thankful to my dad because he set me up for life but, um, I qualified at the age of 20 and then that's when I also decided I actually want to go and do the Miss Mauritius thing so I saved up quite a lot of money and then migrated to Mauritius for about four or five months um unprepared but financially I was just like yep I graduate I graduated the same year and I left my graduation just to catch the plane and do the whole Miss Mauritius, go back and compete. It was the same day, I still remember it, but I was so unprepared and I was just like, if I could go back in time now and prepare myself for the whole thing, I would have, but my nursing was so important to right. finish and graduate. But everything kind of worked out now, like in the long term. And I mean now, like I mean fast forward to like seven years later sort of thing. So what I'm hearing is obviously a range of experiences, yeah. right? Yeah. Bit from studying to mm-hmm. professional, what you wanted to do, yeah. what you aspired to do and what you eventually did. Yeah. Um, but going back, for, I guess going back to your question, why not participate, for instance, 
And I don't know about the logistic, mm-hmm. I have to say, but why not participate in Miss UK? Why Miss Mauritius? It has to be Miss Mauritius because I'm Mauritian. I mean, right. It's a sense of belonging, <laughs> I guess. Yeah, and I was born there. Like, a lot of people have asked me that, but I just... I feel more Mauritian than British. Okay. I, I don't know if it's a wrong thing to say. I think it's just not my all, opinion. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But I just... It just doesn't... It wouldn't feel right. It doesn't feel right. And I feel like it's more authentic for me to do it in Mauritius than it is to do it here because why not? Like, that is where I'm from. That's where I was born. Mm-hmm. Maybe if I was born here and actually brought up and raised here, maybe the mentality would have been different. But because I, we right. have such a range of diversity in Mauritius, I would much rather re- represent my island, making sure that I actually make an impact rather than doing something here, kind of the glass is half empty sort of thing. Mm-hmm. Okay. So I've always felt very patriotic and I'm glad to be a Mauritian. It's never been that like when, when I was, once I was crowned Miss International that I've gone to Miss International and I thought I wish I was like Philippines or something. Right. Like I of know course. the hype is real, but then I'm still proud to represent my nation. Although we are a small island, we still have a lot more to deliver and offer as a nation just because it's the size of our country or because we don't have such a strong fan base internationally doesn't mean that it makes us any less Mm -hmm. so if you can do it as a one person then you don't need everyone to try and convince you that you could have done it this way or that way it's like well no the way I'm doing it is right sort of thing you know and I'm glad that I pushed you (laughs) (laughs) so so I guess there was one interesting thing at the very beginning of what you say you say you're not a feminist Mm -hmm. right and that's a very interesting topic because quite often it feels like even when I'm talking to women it sometimes comes up, oh, but I'm not a feminist. Or if you're talking to men, not everyone, I have yeah. to say, I don't want to generalize. But some men go, oh, I hate the word feminism. I hate that women are trying to be feminist. What's your take on feminism? I'll, I'll be honest about this. The whole thing like started off when I was like a child. And the only phrase I've heard is jimun ki Jimun and it's just like that's the one thing that's kind of and for our like, non-Mauritian listeners like, what will people say there basically you thank you <laughs> um so that's one thing that actually triggered like that was like the trigger point of being like what what do you mean what pe- what will people say it's like mm-hmm. why should I care though and but I've had this thought since I was a kid like since I was a teenager you kind of start when you have a personality of yourself you start to some people like to be conformist. I am just not a conformist. Just because a religion says you have to do so and so to be accepted by God, I am not going to do that. It might be sensitive to other people, but I, 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 I am a strong believer in using your common sense, you know? And I just feel like the, a lot of people don't use their common sense. They're doing it to please others. One, mm-hmm. like I feel like part of this feminism is people pleasing. Two, it's a... Um, it's something that, oh, well, she's done it or he's done it, so I have to do it. Well, it's the have to do it. And three, I feel like it's a generational curse. Oh, interesting. So Why? I'm here to break generational curses. and I, You I'm, mean like saying, talking about feminism is a generational yeah, curse? Yeah, yeah. Like I do feel like it's more of a generational curse. That's what I'm trying to get to. Following the, the, your statement of you're not a feminist, mm-hmm. You might not be, but mm-hmm. are you against the term in general? No, I'm not against the term. Because okay. I do believe like a lot of feminists out there, not just labelling feminists, but a lot of people with their opinions have their opinions mm-hmm. because they've been through something. So just acknowledge it. You don't have to believe in what they're saying. It's an opinion. 
but right. acknowledge it and respect it. And again, coming back to the general cur- um, curse, it's more of a generational gap, rather, I would say. Mm-hmm. That is like, well, you used to do it that way. I'm going to do it this way. And I think most of the time people are scared of evolving. But I think that could apply to both men and women, right? Yes. Yeah. I think for me, you know, the fact that we talk about feminism, the reason why I wanted to talk about it, or when you mentioned it, that struck a chord. I think that the term has been coined and... I still question whether I'm a feminist or not, Mm. but when women are told why you're being a feminist, it almost comes with a negative connotation. And I feel like it doesn't have to be because there's a reason why feminism had to be a term. I think in today's generation, I've never, (laughs) so that's funny. I think because in, in my circle of friends and women I know, like we're all like independent women working, we've got something going on. I've talked about it so many times, but marriage doesn't seem to be the imminent priority. Yeah. You don't, it doesn't. And I was talking about this with friends and I said, well, you know, if, if my guy, my man tomorrow is like, you don't have to work. I'll take care of you. I don't mind. Yeah. Like, honestly, I think people have this impression that no, I really want to be working, making mm. money. I don't mind. For me, I do want to be looked after. I do want to be taken care of. Yeah. And maybe that will be controversial in itself. But for me, I think feminism is about given the choice, right? Mm. Given the choice to work, you can aspire to the same pay as men and women. Given the choice to maybe after your maternity leave Mm. to come back to the place of work, you can aspire to be back to the same level of pay even if you've missed out for a year, right? It's all about choice. If you want to be taken care of by a man, that's even your choice. Sometimes it does shock me like, why do people question feminism so much? Because for so long, men had the choice, right? Yeah. And now we've been given the choice or we've had to fight to have the choice. Whatever else we want to do. You know, you were talking about you didn't change your name after marriage. So I didn't change my surname after marriage. Another controversial thing. (laughs) You can or you cannot. I have friends who have changed the name. I have friends who didn't change Mm -hmm. the name. But I think like eventually as a man, if you're getting married to a woman, you're marrying her for her individuality. You're marrying her for the person. And again, I'm not saying you have to change or you do not have to change. That's your choice. Mm -hmm. But I don't think women should be questioned for not wanting to change their name after marriage. You were born that way. The man knew you for who you are. Why change your name? Yeah, Yeah, I agree. I I knew I wasn't going to change my surname. Was um, that controversial? Oh, very very my dad liked it i said to my dad like obviously dad i'm not going to change my surname i'm going to keep it my dad was like he was happy about it. i could see the little smile smile on his face but he was i was just like what would you think if mum if mum had the choice like not she, i i honestly believe women always had the choice though when it comes back to the feminism, okay. feminism thing i just feel like we're more aware of it right i feel like we've always had the choice we're just more Did aware we know, of it really yeah i feel like we now we're coming into our own revolution, like okay. we're, we're we're starting to rebel. I do believe that we. You are know, now not realizing, everyone is that strong. Yeah, and but they have determined to be. as you. Yeah, <laughs> but they have to be. They have to be. And this is a, if if this is a message that you can take from today, is just go out there and conquer. If you don't get anything out of this podcast, just go out there, conquer, and don't give up. Quick gratification is not the key because if it was quick gratification, anyone and everyone would have done it. You want to watch a movie, Netflix, you want to get food delivery, you want to become famous, quick. Yeah, Mm -hmm. of course, yeah. But I didn't change my surname and I knew I wasn't going to change my surname because I was just like, I like my name for what it is and and I try to even add it 
like trying to, I, I kind of wrote it down and it was just, it's just not me. It's not my identity. And I was like, and I was like, if you've got a problem with it, that's fine. We won't get married. Like, well, you can, you can throw the whole thing away and it's okay. Like my peace and my thoughts are more important than what you think of me. You know, right. that sort mm-hmm. of thing. What I want is more important because at the end of the day, you have to put yourself first. And I was kind of putting myself first, but it was more of a, um, it was, it was different then. It was more like, I don't know. Like, I think I go through up and down, you know, sometimes as a woman, it's already hard making decisions based on, do I want this? Am I doing it for myself or am I doing it for other people? That sort of thing. Mm-hmm. But this time I was like, yeah, no, I'm going to have this for life. So I'm not, I'm not changing my surname. What did your husband say when you decided not to change your name? Because let's set the scene for our listeners. Mm-hmm. You got married at the age of 24, 24, which was like seven years ago. And it's only in recent years that yeah. not changing your name or not taking your husband's family name seems to be of a new, they want to say trend, but yeah. more of a, of a new practice. Yeah. That was still seven years ago, right? Yeah. What was the reaction then? Do you know, I just said it as it is and I didn't care. I didn't care what he thought. But initially, it was like a little bit of a shock because it's like, what? Well, he was obviously like, well, what do you mean? And I'm like, well, I just don't feel like it. I I didn't want to be rude about it, but it already comes across rude when you're just like, I don't want to take on your name. Where do? But I was already questioning. I'm like, but why do women take on the man's name? Where does it say that it's an obligation? Why am I obligated to this? Like, and then I kind of said to him, it's more important how, I, how much I look after you and how I carry my vows and how responsible we are for each other and how much we love each other and we're there for each other and how we support each other. What's in a name? You know, your opinions are going to vary from mine. Eventually, he's, my mother-in-law came and was like, it's fine. And when, when she set the tone that it was fine, then he kind of was like, okay, then yeah, it's fine. He's a mummy's boy and it's okay. Like, yeah. And she was kind of always on my side, my mother-in-law. So she kind of always saw eye to eye with me. She wouldn't agree on everything that I said, but she'd mm-hmm. be like, okay, cool. I can see it from your perspective. And that I think is such a beautiful thing 100%. to have. And that is something that I will like treasure for the rest of my life. Yeah, I appreciate you sharing yeah. this. And I think I think the audience will probably have a lot to say. Yeah. Good or bad. <laughs> Opponents, proponents. We'll see. I'm excited to see what the reaction will be to this one. So I think moving on and you 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 said a few things um in your previous statements, right? So if I scroll through your Instagram, you show yourself and I in my email to you or when we were discussing, I said, Oh, you're quite a bald, like mm. you're very confident and you said it's rather I'm a non-conformist yeah so you don't conform to what I don't conform to anything just because someone says that's blue but I think it looks green mm-hmm. you can think what you want I'm not going to conform to what you say just because you're saying that this is right for women women have to do that it's been tradition I'm going to question the rationale where well mm-hmm. my grandfather said it was okay so I learned that it was a tradition well, no, I'm not going to do that just because of that. You know, when you start questioning things and you want a deeper understanding of it and people start, re- like, just giving an example, mm-hmm. but they start manipulating the situation using religion and tradition, I feel like that's a red flag as it is. Okay. If you can't bring your own rationale into something, your own meaning into what you're doing, then there's something completely wrong. And that's when I feel like it is it is a fair thing to intervene and be like, hmm. Yeah, no, I'm going to use my own logic on this one. Unless, of course, it's something professional in a medical field. Like, this patient has sepsis, which is an infection. This, I've had a look at his bloods or her bloods and this raise. 
they need antibiotics. Right. That's a fact. That patient is going to die if you don't treat them for sepsis. They need antibiotics, IV, stat. You know, that's a fact. But again, when it becomes like facts and opinions, I feel like people manipulate manipulate a lot of things. And this is going back culturally as well in Mauritius. Mm-hmm. My mum and dad are very liberal. Unfortunately, I can't say the same thing with um, extended, extended, extended families. <laughs> yeah, and I feel sure. like a lot of Mauritians can probably relate to this. Yeah, I think brand, brand community brand in general. community right. in general. Um, but it's like, well, we have to do this. Well, it's like, we don't have to do it. We don't have to do it. If we're not comfortable doing something, we don't have to do it. So that's what I mean by I don't conform to something. And it's something that I'm having to still learn. Like, I'm, like last year, I've had to set boundaries with myself. I think the only thing that you should be exploring without boundaries is yourself but when it comes to other people traditions and external world like think twice about how you're investing your energy and where you're investing your energy and why you're investing your energy into it but yeah my instagram is probably i would say bold because i like colors like i've got a lot of sagittarius places i'm quite fiery (laughs) so i do use a lot of colors but also the boldness comes from the patience that i've come across in um a&E and within my nursing career when you has when you have seen life and death it changing it does change your perspective I've had to be in situations where um you know we've done chest compressions on a patient that was a, um, arresting cardiac arrest and you're kind of wrapping up a body which is really really sad wow. and then an hour later you're triaging a newborn baby that's just coming with a little infection and you're trying to get the doctors in so it's a very vast because obviously acts an emergency you see life and death it kind of does make you bold in different perspectives like it changes you completely because you're just like wow life can be over at any second and I just did that and I don't know how to react. Should I be cold? Should I just get on with it? Should I take a moment? Sometimes mm-hmm. you can't take a moment, you know? Yeah. So in matters of that, you have to be bold. And it's just, life is too short to be like, to, to conform to anything. I, I do I do want to get into your nursing job, but, but maybe before we get to that, you know, the reason why I also asked about your Instagram is that, when I scroll through, right, mm. your pictures are very bold in terms of colors, yeah. in terms of what you're wearing. wearing. And you show yourself, mm. right? Like you do your photo shoots mm. and you have no reservation about that. It did prompt a question. Like, do you get judged for your looks? Within the modeling sector, I think like, um, yeah, like you're either going to be someone's cup of tea or not. Mm-hmm. A lot of jobs that I do get scouted for, especially music videos or like, auditions they always go with the exotic I'm like but every time they say we're looking for an exotic girl and you suit the brief I'm like but what am I a parrot I, I still don't understand what the whole terminology of exotic is right yeah of course I've, I I believe in the um Asian modeling now I've been getting turned out since I dyed my hair this color but when I've dyed my hair this color from black to this I've been getting a lot more like music job offers and acting jobs but with the modeling jobs, it's gone down a bit within the Asian sectors in Asian bridal and stuff like that. But that's because they're not open. Like they want one sort of look and that's it. And again, there's a lot of nepotism within that. Everyone has their favorites. Everyone has their hyped. It's not very much equal opportunity. Mm-hmm. And that's okay. Like I have a couple of things going on for me, but when they don't want you, it's fine. Like I'm not going to base my worth on that, you know? I've got bigger things going for me. And you know what they say, one door shuts, the other one opens. But saying that, everyone's going to have an opinion. Not everyone's going to like you. And that's okay. I'm not here to 
please people but i am here to be myself and be true yeah. to myself i think you you actually remind me of a, of a quote that i came across and i really like that quote it was uh, i think it was by david david foster wallace and he said you'll stop worrying about people when you realize how seldom they think about you yeah but yeah. i do believe that not everyone loves you not everyone yeah. hates you so now moving on to your job as a nurse mm-hmm. and there were a few sad references when you talked about, you know, changing from one second having to deal with mm-hmm. body and then the next second, like, thinking about your other job. How's life in a and um, Are you still working? Yeah, so I've resigned because mm-hmm. I had to go to Sydney and then I did my film course there in 2018 and 2019. So I did, um, I did um, acting there um, at a school called Screenwise. So I kind of resigned there and then. But my initial plan going back to my dad's little pep talk was always never to stay in the nursing um I have a lot of respect for the job but I just locum now I am I did initially switch to part-time but now it's just selectively doing the odd shift here and there still in an A&E Oh, it has to be at A&E. I'm too wild to go anywhere else. Right, yeah. so accident emergency. Accident emergency, yeah. Um, it's interesting because I think for those not in the UK, there's lately been so many protests, so many mm. strikes. And I was just reading the stats and it seems like, I think the UK, we have a population of about 67 million of mm. people. And it seems like almost 25 a year go to the A&E. So that's like, what, that's nearly 40%, yeah. right? And when you think about lately, like the wage conversation, the way it's mm. been going, for me, what's been striking is I think the national minimum wage in the UK is about like £10 per hour now, yeah. or just over like £10.40 something. And even the likes of Pret Coffee recently has increased the wages for their workers. Yeah. And then when you think about the pay, so I have friends in, in my circle, in my circle of friends, I have friends and acquaintances, junior doctors, nurses, you've been there. Mm-hmm. And even when you think about the wage conversation, like lately, like when you do the numbers it, per hour, yeah. it's ridiculous. And, you know, it brings me back to my own experience last year, I had a mini surgery mm-hmm. and I went to the NHS, the National Health Service here in the UK, and it was a general anesthesia, but I stayed there for like a couple of hours from morning to like midday. Mm-hmm. And the number of people that I went through, right, for a minor surgery, I probably was attended by like 10 people from the whole, by 10 people from the mm. whole process. From the person who receives you at the admission, at the admission ward, from the person who goes for your yeah. check, from to the surgeon, to people who take care after you afterwards. Do you want a cup of coffee? Do you want this? Mm. We need to wait for the person who's coming to pick you up. Yeah. For me, I came back that day telling my sister and her boyfriend, being like, I do get it, like, why they're having to fight for wages. Mm. And when you, for instance, you spend the hours going through the likes of death, mm. having to deal with dead bodies, having to deal with different life situations, you said it's a really dark zone. Mm. It's just dark because dealing with life and death is a very fragile thing. Mm-hmm. It's extremely fragile. Um, these are people's lives that you're not playing with but these are people's lives that you're dealing with and it requires a lot of compassion and kindness and you need to be a bit more of a listener to these patients than just going up and diagnosing obviously it's a very dark state that we're going through at the moment with the whole NHS situation but this is also one reason I locum because it's not what it was like 10 years ago you know in what sense in in terms of 
well it was nicer to work 10 years ago when I was like a student and you know um, I just qualified I remember still working in Aini and I loved it now it's a different sort of battle because it's just we're not compassionate enough not I don't mean towards patient I mean colleagues versus colleagues um my friends are doctors I have more doctor friends than nurses and I don't want to get into a fight with anyone I just want to be polite and nice but then if it's someone's life at stake but then we're short of everything it's a very tricky scenario of how do I go about this we you know how do we handle this you you, you're constantly being put in an awkward position because we are overstretched have you had any in those dark hours where you are dealing with someone who could be could be almost on the verge of dying, mm. right? Because you're dealing with the very extreme scenarios yeah. in accident and emergency. Have you had moments that almost change the way you think about life altogether? Um, I think these moments are like long gone because now I have to be pragmatic about it. I can't let it overtake my soul in a in a sense that I'm just like, I can't function. Because when you let yourself get to that state, you won't be able to work. I've had yeah. situations where a nurse next to me was doing chest compressions in the resuscitation department. Obviously, this is when the person is, um, you know, mm-hmm. dying. Yeah. Um, where she was just like, she cracked a few ribs and we all heard it. And the doctor was like, come on, keep going. And she was just like, how can I? And I was like, just let me take over, move. It's like a split second, you just have to get on with it. Otherwise, every, every second counts. Like you could come in, I had... One guy that came in, this was years ago, but burnt, like you, you'll never smell burnt skin, but it was like he smelled of burnt skin because he was electrocuted and he was like an electrician doing something and it was like burnt hair and burnt skin. And I still remember like kind of undressing him and he was fine. He was obviously, but he had a burn and I'd never, I'd never smell or, or seen anything like it. And it was like a moment of fascination be like wow how do we treat this because the first time like you know you're, fascination yeah like fascination but then also what do you, you want know me to you do, surprised doctor? me yeah. and I'm, yeah. I'm sure you'll probably surprise many people yeah. I wouldn't have compassion is one thing yeah right? but I don't think I would have the bravery to be even, fascinated no, to be fascinated yeah. but also to deal with to deal, yeah, to work to deal with that but yeah. you have to be fascinated by it because you have to be eager to learn and be like okay fine this has happened what can I do to improve the situation or it's like sometimes you get new diagnosis new things coming in and you I'll be like asking the doctor I've never seen anything like this I'll go home to my partner and be like I haven't seen anything like this tell me a little bit more about that tell me a little bit more about this you know um you have to be like really really keen to learn how can you be so pragmatic about you get used to it Gemma really yeah you do like you do like you can't let it phase you like at one time I cried um, when a patient passed away and, um, you know, a little boy or the grand grandson was like, please, like, come back and stuff like that. I cried. I went into the room. I cried. That's because I had time to do that. And other times, you know, you won't have the time. You just go up and you give the relatives a chair. And sometimes you're so busy. You have you have to make the patient in a dignified manner before the, pe- um, the relatives come in or before, um, you know, you, you just have to... You do it with kindness and compassion, but also be pragmatic as well in the moment. It's not to say that you're just being cold. It's just that it's not about me. It's not about the nurse. It's not about the doctors. It's about the relatives that are going to come in to see that patient. It's about taking care of them in that moment because the bigger picture is the patient and the relatives. It's not us. But at the same time, all we're asking for back is respect and gratitude. 
sort of thing. Do you know what I mean? You have to always see the bigger picture when you work in accident emergency because it's not about it's not about us. It's about the patient always patient care. I think it's uh, it's commendable, but also I I'll still find it really hard to understand how you can take the and I don't mean you, but mm. as as a job, you know, whether that's a surgeon dealing mm. with 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 someone on on the operation uh, on the operation table. I think I will always find it hard to understand how you manage to take or withdraw yourself from the situation mm. and be take the emotions out of the situation yeah. and be very pragmatic. pragmatic. And and I, I do understand like I think there's this world has room for all type of profession, mm. all type of jobs and I think this is probably one of the one of those that we underestimate, underestimate. the number of hours, yeah. the number of emotional resilience that yeah. you need to be to have to be part of this but profession. Just, I, I completely under, um, resonate with what you're saying. This might be slightly sensitive, mm-hmm. but um, for everyone's benefit, I do check in with my guests before, you know, what they want to talk about. Mm-hmm. Are they comfortable? Because I completely get people's boundaries and I do feel very protective towards my guests. Mm. And you mentioned your mom in one yeah. of your emails and... I think going back to um, your reduced involvement with your profession as a nurse in the A&E ward, you started caring for your mom, mm-hmm. your mom who suffered from cancer. Breast right? cancer, yeah. How is she doing to start she's with? She's doing great and she's consented for me to say this. I was like, mom, are you okay if I talk about you? She's like, no. But she did send me a really nice message. She was just like, I just want there to be like the world to be kinder. There's one thing that she said to me. She was like, I don't know how I'm still alive. And she was like, I've really thought with everything that I'm, I've gone through, I wouldn't be here. But she feels divinely protected. And there are things that she had gone through when I was 17. I remember I just started my nursing. So a funny story, though, my dad actually diagnosed the lump under her arm. Okay. And the GPs misdiagnosed it numerous times. And my dad was adamant. My dad was like, no, I still want to scan. And I'm so grateful for my dad in that because it's been a blessing in disguise because it turned out he was right. Um, fortunately she's okay but the the long-term complications of being on the medication that you have to take after breast cancer obviously it can cause um, cysts so she just had like an ovarian cyst removed um, Mm. about 18 months ago I would say and she's doing good but she is left with a little bit of tingling on her foot and um, this is why when I say I'm a non-conformist and when we come back to feminism I actually do it mostly for my mum because she doesn't really have, well, she has a voice, but because obviously now we're moving to, towards a generation where we can speak up now, we mm. feel like we have a voice now. She couldn't really do that in her time. And she, there was a lot that she went through that she felt like she could have made movements because she, she had dreams, she, had, she wanted to make changes too, but some people just don't have the opportunity. So I kind of, I live my dreams through her as well. Finding out about your mom's cancer, mm-hmm. did that change the way you care about people in general, where you're already part of an a ward, you're already caring for so many people, mm-hmm. and suddenly you're having to care for this one person mm-hmm. who's like the most important person in your life, yeah. right? Does it finally get to you? You know, that if, going back to that point where I was saying you have yeah. to be pragmatic in the a yeah. ward. yeah. And this is your mom. Do the emotions finally catch up on you? Yeah, it does. It does. But I'm, I try and be as pragmatic and be, I just practice gratitude because I know I always knew she'd be fine and she's a fighter. But then I feel like she got, she's the one going through it. 
so we have to come together for her again I try and not put the emphasis or the focus on me because I'm not the one experiencing the the things that she's going through and she's the one going for that she's the one having to go through chemo she's the one my mother's the one having to go through reconstruction so the pressure and the the mental state that she's in is very delicate like she's the one going for it so I've tried to always push the focus out of myself and kind of like it's like you're you're running the marathon right you can't keep going round and round. You know when you're at school and you, you pass the baton? Is mm-hmm. that what it is, yes. right? Mm-hmm. You have to pass it on. You can't just take the baton and run and run and run and run and run. Right. Like, I've always tried to give, like like we give people the benefit of the doubt, when it comes to like somebody as personal as your mum, you have to kind of push the focus onto her. Like, what do you need? Is there anything I can do to make your journey a bit more pleasant? I'm here if you need me. So it's just kind of turning that, scenario into a positive one as bad as it is you have to always practice gratitude and have to be like right I'm going to be there for her as much as I can and I couldn't do it the first time when she was diagnosed with cancer because I was 17 and I um I I, I didn't have the facilities right well. do, do you know what I mean I was mentally out, yeah as well. but a couple of years ago I could like changing her dressing and stuff like that that to me was a blessing being there for your mom is a blessing and I'm not really focused on who's doing what part if like my sister also did a lot, like she drove to the hospital and stuff like that. She was doing her part. I was doing my part. We kind of have to come together for that. It's mm-hmm. not, you have to just be united and kind of get on with it. Because the more I kind of distract myself, like, oh, it's really getting to me. Like, of course it did. It's my mom. I'm worried. But then it's going to start, like you start getting pessimistic and then you're going to be like, oh, is she going to be okay? No, she's going to be fine. Like you have to be like, it's going to be fine. Like, even if it means that you're a little bit like, delusional you have to be like no it's going to be good right. like a positive outcome you have yeah. to I do appreciate you sharing this and being vulnerable and I think it's also a good reminder for people listening to us whether it's younger women um it's probably you know a reminder for you to tell your mom to go mm. for your regular breast regular cancer checkup. check and if it's not just your mom go yourself yeah very true and smear test as well it's so smear important test is so yeah important. so always a good reminder Shiksha, um, probably the last question for this podcast, customary one. Is there anything that you think you've figured out so far in life and you'd like to share with our listeners? Or equally, is there anything left for you to figure out? Um, I have, that's a very, um, I don't know. That's a very unique question because what does it mean to figure out things? Life mm-hmm. is kind of unknown. Like you don't know what's going to happen next. But I have learned to be positive and manifest positively and have gratitude for everything that I have I am still trying to figure out how to give back to the community and that is something I'm probably going to figure out until next year you'll probably be seeing me more next year um, because I feel like I've come to a stage where I can with all the experiences I have right now I can inspire other people to be like you know what if that girl Shiksha can do it I can do it too Mm -hmm. if she can come out and and say that it's okay to be myself conquer my own dreams and live life for me instead of like you know what other people will think of what I'm doing and being constantly judged and kind of forgetting other people's opinions of how you should live your life what you should do and live life for me that is still something I'm trying to figure out I think but I feel like that's a message that I will want to take further for next right. year mm-hmm. maybe start a campaign or something why not we'll probably <laughs> hear more of you then yeah I think I think that's the the one thing I really love on this podcast is like like you say 
I don't know if it's a unique question, but the title of the podcast is figuring out because, you know, going back to when I really started, mm. I was in that whole phase of, you know, like in my 20s, I was still like figuring things out and now I'm still figuring things yeah. out. And I'm like, we're constantly going through changes, constantly changing. Yeah. The me today is marginally different from the me, me. a month yes. ago, from the me a year ago, yeah. five years ago. But look how far you've come. And I think like that's the process yeah. of like figuring out and it's always an, it is an interesting question. Yeah. Whenever I do ask my guests, there's always a moment of, let me think about it. It's always like a free But it is refreshing question. to see you mm. as a Mauritian do this. Oh, thank you. And that you are going to go far. I'm not just saying that, but you have come places and I think it's time we support one another and this is a grand job that you're doing. Thanks, you. Like job. I'm doing nothing but manifesting positivity and more positivity. <laughs> into uh. I'm such a spiritual person. I think you said this is your 11th? Yeah. I've mm-hmm. been seeing 11-11 the last couple of months. Have you? Everywhere <laughs> is like 11-11 from my washing machine to the podcast, like to time. <laughs> I, I do I do really value the guests that I have on every single week and you know it's been interesting if I may I'm just gonna take a couple of minutes every in the recent weeks um it's been interesting watching you know even like hearing from my friends or like the podcast because I think you're questioning the, the very first few weeks I was so nervous putting myself out there very similar to your journey right like putting yourself out there mm-hmm. and like wondering what will people think you know I'm I still have this whole imposter syndrome and mm-hmm. I get nothing so far, right? I'm not monetizing this. It's still a long way from monetizing and that's not the intention. But, you know, if eventually it were to become something, you know, it just gives you a bit of flexibility. But I think it's been interesting, like hearing from my friends, like how much do you have to pay for guests? I'm like, I pay nothing. (laughs) There are so many people like yourself Mm. wanting to talk, like ready to have a conversation. And I think that's the great thing about our generation because... Yes, there are different things we want to talk about, mm. but you know, the digital phase has just made it easier. Yeah. But at the end of the day, what I've realized throughout this whole series of episodes, everyone is going through the same thing. Like everyone is trying to figure out whether that's more money, more success, more health, more mental stability, yeah. better success in the relationship. There is one thing. No one is 100% happy. There. Yeah. there is always something we're looking out for Absolutely next. Absolutely agree. Yeah. But Shiksha, thank you so much. Having you on a bright summer day in London. (laughs) Thank you, Gemma.